Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today I'm joined again by the wonderful Iram Malik who joined me for a really good episode very early on in our podcast history actually, uh, podcast history, where we talked about exams and we did a big mammoth exams episode. There's nothing we didn't cover in that episode, it was fabulous and I know that even now it's one of our most popular episodes. So thank you so much for joining me again Iram. Today we're going to be talking about English language as an option, English language IGCSE as an option and we're going to start with a little overview of all the different options available and then zone in on the Cambridge exam board, which I know is your favourite and lots of people's favourites when they home educate. So Iram, thank you so much for joining us today. And for anyone who didn't listen to the exams episode, perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, a bit about me. So I home educated all three of my kids all the way through. Um, My eldest, who's now 21, makes me feel a bit old. She's um, finishing her last year at uni this year. Um, She was home educated all the way through to A-level. So we had uh, quite an interesting experience through the COVID years, particularly. That's another story. Could do a whole episode on that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We could. We have uh, my middle daughter who was home ed for all her GCSEs, I GCSEs and is now in the midway through her A-levels, so is going into her second year of A-levels, thinking about uni. And my youngest, who's home ed as well, who's 12 years old, and she's just about to do her first set of IGCSE exams in environmental management. So that's a bit of context, really. And in terms of my background, um, qualified many, many years ago as a teacher, um, and then fell into various other things, and then obviously taught my kids all the, or facilitated I should say um my 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 children's learning all the way through and interestingly enough she, they tended to do subjects that I hadn't studied or taught um uh, apart from English they neither of them wanted to do literature the older two but today we're thinking about uh, in terms of language um the three kind of most commonly um taken options available for home educating families are um the Cambridge uh, specification. Um, Pearson's Edexcel, the Spec A and the Spec B. So those are your three main options. And they're all just to note, they're all IGCSE because that can cause a bit of confusion. Um, and why IGCSE, is it that we do IGCSE over GCSE when it comes to English language? Yeah, because um, some of the GCSE options have coursework components. Um, since the reforms, I think there are, I think AQA is available now as well. But IGCSEs tend to be easier to facilitate um, because they're pure exam, essentially. Um, and having said that, with the Cambridge specification, there is the option to do coursework, which is available to schools. But in practice, that's not readily, you know, easily facilitated for home and families. So we tend to do uh, straightforward two papers and it's completely examined the other uh, 100% exam and the other two specifications I mentioned are also pure exams so those are the three options really um in terms of comparing them um sometimes this is this is 
this is one of the factors to consider. It might be a choice based on what exam center is closest to you. So um, Edexcel is a point to note. Um, there tend to be more centers available in the UK for Edexcel compared to Cambridge. That doesn't necessarily have to pose an issue if you're willing to travel, um, potentially stay overnight somewhere or travel to a center, maybe not on your doorstep, then it doesn't have to be a barrier. I always mention that because sometimes people feel that that's not it's just something very much to do with whatever centre is closest to you, just your, your choices dictated by what, by what boards they offer. So just to mention that. Um, and in terms of the skills, obviously they're broad skills, which are covered in all three specifications, but there are quite specific differences. Um, Cambridge is my personal preference. I do tutor in it and my two older daughters did it. And that was our when my eldest first did it, that was our introduction to the syllabus and the specification. And um, I think the thing that I like most about it is that it has quite a practical focus. Um, it's sort of the skills and the um, the kinds of texts that you're asked to write are quite you know, relevant to life, you know, writing letters, articles and so on. Um, and the biggest advantage I think that it has over the Edexcel Spec A is that the Edexcel Spec A contains a poetry anthology, which I know for many students is of putting. If you love literature, um, then and you and studying poetry and analyzing poetry, that, that might be a good option for you. But if it's just a case, as it is for many, certainly many of my students, it's a kind of a hurdle. They just need to have past the English language. Um, the Cambridge specification is definitely one I think that's worth considering um, for that reason. It doesn't have the, the poetry anthology. So the poetry anthology that for Edexcel Spec A, that's poems that they need to study first and then they will be answering questions on them. Yeah, exactly. And Cambridge exactly. doesn't have that. Cambridge doesn't have that. In fact, there's very, very little literary analysis, if you like, in the Cambridge specification, apart from one question, the writer's effects question, where you need to analyse the way in which language is used. Um, in a kind of more literary way, um, there isn't really any kind of analysing of um, texts in the same way that you would have to do for the for the Edexcel spec A. And note on Edexcel spec B, it's kind of more similar to the Cambridge syllabus than the Edexcel spec A in that there is no poetry in that one either. However, it's examined by one single three-hour paper, which in itself I think can be, I mean, no, I'm I always was a bit wary of that kind of put your exit in one basket approach. Because um, if you have a bad day on that day of the exam, then that's it. You've got one shot. Whereas with Cambridge, you've got two papers, and it's a bit it's a bit of a marathon, isn't it? A three hour paper anyway, and it's particularly if your um, young person has um, access arrangements in place, they may be looking at potentially even longer than a three hour paper if they if they qualify for extra time, for instance. So that's something to consider as well. I, th I know that that's something that was a definite kind of um, factor for us. It put us off a bit having just one um, single, one three hour paper. So that's something to bear in mind as well. What about the textual, textual analysis in Edexcel Spec B? Is that the same kind of thing where um, there's quite a lot of literature analysis? No, there isn't a whole lot of literature analysis in that one either. So they, they're quite similar in terms of the practical, what I say, what, what I call the practical focus. Um, but really, I think that the decider is the length of the exam and, um, you know, the fact that it's all riding on that one one day and that one exam paper. And yeah, so that's something that I think for us definitely made it um, un unattractive, let's say, 
as an option and the Cambridge we, we preferred for that reason. So that's a kind of brief overview of the different um, options that are most commonly taken. Um, and then, so yeah, so taking into account those factors, traveling to the exam center, um, and actually I think another point to mention is the importance of looking at the syllabus have a look at the syllabus and and be clear exactly what's how what the assessment what the what the assessment looks like you know what kind of questions are you going to be answering what kind of um skills are you being asked to demonstrate um and so that's something to think and that that goes that holds true for any any syllabus and any specification really pour over the syllabus and compare the different options available so you can kind of get a good idea of which one you think might suit you best um, in terms of the way it's assessed and what examiners are looking for. Um, and that's that's really kind of a brief overview of the different specifications and why I think Cambridge represents a good option. Another thing to mention is that Cambridge does actually, I think, work well for a lot of students who maybe struggle with things like spelling and grammar and punctuation although obviously you can I mean they mark positively so if you are if you can demonstrate excellent spelling punctuation and grammar um and you know your your work is error free then you can be awarded marks for that they don't start with a notional number of marks and then look to take numbers off um they look for opportunities to award marks so if you if your spelling and grammar and punctuation is a weak area for you um, that's something you can compensate for in other areas with this specification because they, they reward imaginative use of language, ambitious use of language, and that can compensate to some extent for the you know, weaknesses in technical areas. Um, that's something to, to bear in mind. I think it represents a good option for students with um, SEN because I think that the criteria for assessment are more is more transparent as well. So it's easier to gauge what's required and what you actually need to do instead of it sort of being a bit vague and woolly and hard to make sense of really. And that's and there's a kind of a range of different strategies and techniques that I um, work with students on, which can help them sort of get um, a sense of how to go about answering questions and how to approach the assessment task. So that's I think that makes a huge difference for students because they're, they've got a clear idea of what they need to do exactly what they need to do in order to, to gain the marks. And so thinking about it in terms of talking about assessment, um, how it's assessed. So all students do two papers. There's paper one and paper two. They both carry um, an equal number of marks, 80 marks and 50% of the overall grade. There's a option, as I mentioned earlier, to do coursework that's really only available to schools um, and there's also and this is a question I get asked about quite a lot about the speaking and listening um, the oral the full title mentions an oral endorsement and that's an option for schools but in actual fact it doesn't count towards the grade so there's no compulsion to do it, it doesn't count towards the grade and so that is completely um, you know not an issue for home educators. Um, for the Cambridge syllabus there's also two 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 options you can choose between the 0500 and the 0990, which are the ones I'm talking looking at. The only difference between them is that the 0500 is um, you get awarded grades A to G. So it's the old letter grading system. And that's if you're sitting abroad, if anybody's listening abroad, that will be the only option available to you. The uh, 0990 in the UK, you can choose between the 0500, the A to G grading system, or the 0990, which is the nine to one. 
Um, there is no difference because a lot of people say to me, I, I quite often have parents emailing me when they're about to register saying, oh, the centre says, which one of these options am I going for? And it's really just a case of whether you prefer the nine to one system or the A to G. The papers are identical. The day you sit them, it's exactly the same. You, the questions you're asked, everything's identical. It's just a case of there's a difference in terms of the grading, how the grades are awarded. Um, and so that's a brief mention on that. So paper one um, is also known as the reading paper. Both papers are two hours long. The reading paper is comprised of a structured um, set of questions, a mixture of short answer questions and an extended writing task at the end of the paper. And you have a total of three texts which are provided to you in an insert booklet to read through and you base your all that's another good thing about it all the certainly for paper one we'll move on to paper two in a bit but paper one all the tasks you're asked to write about all the tasks you're asked to write are based on stimulus texts so you know it's called a reading paper because part of what they're assessing is your ability to be able to analyze the texts and to pull out and select uh, relevant ideas and to show that you've understood. So there's a set of comprehension questions and all the written tasks require a degree of comprehension skills. So to show that you've understood what you've read and that you're able to um, write about those ideas using your own words to show you, demonstrate your understanding. And so that's just a brief overview of paper one. And I'll go into a bit more detail on that in a bit. Paper two, um, is also a two-hour paper, again, 50% of the grade. Um, there's an extended writing question, which is normally based on you're asked to write either a letter, article, or speech, so a more challenging text type. Um, and then with the the other half of the paper is a, is a um, composition task, so it's a creative writing task. So it's either a descriptive piece or a narrative piece, and it's quite nice because you get choice of four titles, too descriptive, too narrative, you only have to write one. So there's a lot of choice there. Um, and I think that's really lovely. And then titles are usually broad enough for you to be able to go in lots of different potential directions with it, which is lovely, I think. And that works really well. So that's a kind of overview. I don't know if you want to ask me anything about anything I've said yet, or if that's all, all good. One thing, I mean, there's a couple of things. Firstly, the Cambridge English Language IGCSE is called something different isn't it it's called English as first language first I believe. language yeah yeah, yeah. So okay essentially for native speakers as opposed to uh, it being your second language that's yeah. the difference so, so if anyone's yeah. googling it and they're like I can't see just English language it, it comes up as English as first language, first language on, yeah. on CVs or anything like that you just put Cambridge English language yeah. and that's yeah. okay it's just um, an English language qualification yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is from a personal perspective, my son took Edexcel Spec A, my yeah. daughter took Cambridge English language, and I found quite a bit of difference between there them. I found that Spec A felt very much more like I would imagine English literature to be mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and Cambridge was much more like I would imagine English language to be like. It yeah. was, like you say, it was things like writing a speech or analysing sort of, you know, what does this word mean in this context? It felt yeah. much more language-based to me, so I quite yes. liked that element of it. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. that's Carry the on. appeal of it, I think. That's a big part of the appeal of it, I think. And I think 
from that point of view also, as a result of it being sort of more what I call having this emphasis on that on the practical skills, it's got more sort of life relevance, I think, for students a lot of the time, especially if that's, you know, if you are if you love literature as I do and you enjoy studying it and analyzing it, then you know, those literary components that you have in the spec A, which as you say, are kind of more like what you'd expect for a literature syllabus. That works well if you enjoy that. But if you want somebody who just wants to get and studying English language, get the qualification under your belt. The IGCSE, the Cambridge spec is a really good choice, I think. Yeah, so I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about what exactly the examiners and the syllabus are kind of stated goals or objectives of it, if you like, are the yeah. assessment objectives, what they're actually looking for. Um, it matters, as, doesn't it? It matters a lot in exams, it because particularly, it really particularly humanities exams. Yeah. It's not black and white. It's not just a fact that you're saying. They want to know that you're saying it in the form that they're expecting to mark it in. Yeah. And that makes a difference. Yeah. Mm. It's tricky, isn't it? And I always advise my students, I was sort of compare it to sort of playing a game in the exams game. The rules of the game are laid out in the syllabus and you wouldn't attempt to, you know, you wouldn't expect to be able to play the game well or score the points if you don't know the rules. So going back to the syllabus kind of enables you to understand exactly what they're looking for. And they can't, another thing to bear in mind for any subject as well as English is that they can't assess you on anything that isn't specified in the in the assessment criteria in the syllabus and in the mark scheme. So that's a good place to start in terms of understanding what they're looking for. And then the, and then as a result, being able to tailor your responses to match that. Um, so they focus quite a lot on understanding um, and it's stated uh, reading and writing objectives that they have on the syllabus and they come up again in the mark schemes. So they're applying those uh, theoretical ideas that they specify in the syllabus in terms of actually looking at students' responses. So they focus quite a lot on demonstrating understanding of what they call explicit and implicit meaning. So that's showing that you understand basic stated facts and uh, information on a kind of very um, you know, obvious, in a very obvious way. Um, and also implicit meanings, which are those sort of hinted at or suggested meanings that you often have to um, kind of decode almost and read between the lines for. Those are the two sort of strands, if you like. And then beyond that, they want you to show, they want candidates to show that they un understand ideas, they can analyze them, and they can evaluate um, different perspectives, different arguments, and look for evidence to support those opinions. Um, and the final kind of reading criterion is that they look for an understanding of how writers use language to influence readers and achieve effects, you know, to, to kind of create a mood, for example, or create an impression of a character or whatever it is in the context in which, you know, the piece of writing takes place. So those are the reading criterion criteria. And so when I said that paper one is the reading paper and paper two is the writing paper, in fact, both of them involve both reading and writing. It's just that it's slightly more skewed towards demonstrating those reading criteria that I just ran through on paper one. And paper two has slightly more of a, uh, you know, um, steers more towards the demonstration of written skills. So there's more of an emphasis on um, being able to articulate your ideas and express your opinions and so on. Um, and so um the the criteria set of specific criteria they look for with that as well so that, that's one thing i um, noticed with the two papers is that the first paper um although you're you're writing in response to what you've read they want 
you just kind of stick to what is in the ex- excerpts that you have. Yes. They kind yeah. they they don't want you going off on sort of extrapolations of your own imagination. No. Whereas the second no. one, it's more like in in the second paper, it's more like the written insert that you get is is a springboard for your own ideas more so yes Mm. yes a springboard for your own ideas about the ideas expressed in the text that's an important point to mention Mm. because they're in the in the rubric and the instructions given on paper two for the directed writing task where you may be asked to write a speech letter or article it does say give your own opinions and that's not a cue to go off tangent and sort of go exploring you know um, any any ideas that aren't actually mentioned in the passage. What they want you to do is to be able to extend and develop those ideas, mm. to take them further and think about whether they may be alternative perspectives or other ways of looking at whatever argument the writer has presented. Um, so I'm trying to think of an example. Um, so say the writer takes the view that all of, everybody should be cycling more and um, it would be better for the environment and better for our health and so on. If they just stated it in that way, um, an example of developing and extending and, and, th- and demonstrating your own opinions on that might be well to think, well, what might what what barriers might there be to that? You know, investment is required for cycle lanes, for example, and people have to be able to afford a bike and to maintain the bike. And then there might be issues around road safety with cyclists and so on. So it's sort of thinking beyond and a little bit outside of the box in terms of what ways we can critique almost the opinions being expressed so that's something that it doesn't mean then go off and start talking about something totally different um, about road traffic accidents in general or whatever so that's the key so it's sort of knowing what they're talking being able to identify what the writer's saying the arguments they're putting forward and the evidence that they're using to support those views and then being able to kind of almost interrogate those opinions and what arguments are being put forward and critiquing them and thinking about well, that's all very well, but there's some alternative ways of looking at this topic or this question or this argument. So that's quite, that's, and especially if you're aiming for top grades, that ability to evaluate the arguments is crucial to be able to kind of think about the positives and the negatives and the advantages and disadvantages. I think as well, you're right that um, I found that when my daughter first started doing the past papers, she would for the for the paper too she would tend to sort of go off on a bit of a mad tangent for a large part of it so for example i think there was one where it was about foreign exchanges and evaluate whether you think they're good or bad you had to do a speech and 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 it was a speech to the parents and she sort of went off on a big long thing about how later in life the children would have friends all around the world which was a valid point but it was too projected away from what the parents would be interested in which is like the cost of it you know the safety of it and and I think I think there is that element where they they need to stay quite close to the main idea don't they and not sort of yes. start talking about zombies or <laughs> whatever else Minecraft within the or realm whatever. yeah within mm. the realm of, of the scope of what's being discussed in the texts that you're provided with so and i guess the thing to think about is whether it's what they call tethered to the text so the examiners use that word tethered to is it rooted in the text that's the key i think and it can be i think sometimes that can be tricky for students to gauge 
Um, but I guess like, I, and this is another thing that I often say to my students, English is a skills-based subject, unlike a lot of other subjects where um, you develop skills as in English, as you do with skills in life generally with any any area um, through practice and through kind of exposure to, to good writing and thinking about and working on and kind of honing and refining your skills over time. Um, and the more you do it, the better you get at it really and the, the um, more practiced you are. Um, so that's that's kind of a, we touched on on the kind of being able to analyze those ideas and being able to evaluate those ideas. And then alongside that, being able to express your thoughts in a kind of considered, coherent, logical way. There's quite a lot of emphasis on structuring and sequencing. So being able to present your thoughts in a way that makes sense to the reader, because you know what's in your head, but it's a case of being being able to communicate those ideas in a way that the reader can follow and it makes sense and they can see where you're going with these ideas and there's and it's not jumping around between sort of subtopics if you like you've got a clear series of paragraphs each of which is looking at a specific aspect of the overall topic under discussion and there's and clear linkages as well between the paragraphs and these are these are this is primarily for the for the there's a writing task in paper one, a writing task in paper two that is things like newspaper article, speech, uh, diary entry, that kind of thing. And yeah. and I think yeah. that that's what you're you because the other ones are short, are shorter questions, aren't they? Based on a text. Yeah. So in the I'm going to go down, uh, break down the kind of different assessment tasks on on both papers in a moment. But just uh, yeah. So on paper one, there's there's a series of different questions. So there's reading comprehension questions, there's a writer's effects question, there's a summary writing task, and there's the extended response task, which is, as you mentioned, um, a question where you're asked to write one of seven different possible text types. So there's a letter, an article, speech, report, news report, journal, and interview. So it's quite wide ranging and you don't know which one of those seven different text types they may ask you to write. So you have to be, although certain ones feature more than others, news reports and reports hardly ever come up, but still um, always good to be prepared just in case. It is it's a shame, syllabus. isn't it, that one? It's it a is shame a shame that the journalism yeah. one doesn't come up a bit more often. Yeah, yeah, I think it's quite nice. I think because it's a more straightforward task um, and much more sort of um, obvious in a way and not as challenging as some of the other texts. Um, but uh, the, the you know on paper two you'll you'll be asked to write one of those three text types I mentioned and one thing to note also is you won't be asked to write the same text type on both papers so you won't be asked to write a speech for paper one for the longer written task and a speech on paper two would be different ones um, that's just a point to mention there so it's it's helpful um, and, though isn't it because if you've sat paper one and you've done a speech you know you don't need to revise yes, a speech for yeah, paper two you know you mm. don't need to do that because it's already come up on paper one and that's why it's important to mention it so um as you'd expect with a with an emphasis on the written skills you'd expect um you know examiners to be looking for uh effective use of effective vocabulary um sentence structures used for effect and that's something i think people neglect sometimes using a variety of different sentence types and starting your sentences in different ways to make it interesting and engaging. And then um, you mentioned, uh, you know, an awareness of audience for the question that you said your daughter, your daughter was um, when she was giving a speech to parents. So showing an awareness of who you're talking to, if you're writing a speech or an article, who is it aimed at? Who is your audience? And knowing and showing that, showing an awareness of what they may be interested in and what, what concerns or issues might be relevant to them. So 
and using a, a you know a level of formality a register that's appropriate for that audience as well so that's another stated um objective for the written assessment um elements there for paper two so that's um that's kind of an overview of the reading and writing objectives and what the what's stated in it's all in the syllabus so this is all online and on cambridge board website so you can get uh you know get your head around that there and have a look at it and, although and, having having looked at the the cambridge syllabus i'm very glad you're summarizing it for us because it's a bit <laughs> it's not that easy to tease out these relevant things yeah, actually it is i think you're right and i think in some ways and um this is something i'm i've always been quite conscious of when i'm teaching as well which is why i i do write quite a lot of um as you know my exam prep courses a lot of it is working on exemplars because it's all very well talking in abstract terms about you know what these skills are but i always like to translate translate that through to what a piece looks like when it does demonstrate those skills so you can see it in practice if you like so the the syllabus the, the criteria that i've run through with you is just sort of in general abstract terms but what does that look like in practice and that's i think sometimes something that students struggle with so i've always focused on writing model responses and having exemplar responses that you can talk through with students so they actually can see what that means you know what how does that look you know what does it look like mm. um in in an actual finished piece and i think that's really helpful for students um so we've already sort of talked about the reading objectives showing that you understand a written text and how words are used um to create effects and to influence the reader or whatever it is in the context of the piece um to be able to summarize material um for specific purposes um and develop and analyze ideas those are sort of the broad skills that they're looking for evidence of in students responses um and in terms of writing we kind of talked about sort of just summarizing really what we've mentioned um being able to express your ideas in an articulate way organize and structure your responses in a way that's logical coherent cohesive you know it holds together um using a variety of different sentence structures and types and um, being aware of who the audience is and what the purpose of writing is so that the um you know the mnemonic tap you know the text type the audience and the purposes are the key sort of elements when you're writing any piece bearing those in mind um, what was the what was the middle one an audit did you say audience oh audience I was gonna audience say. and <laughs> okay. purpose not ah, yes not audit I was yes. thinking that's I'm not sure what an audit would be <laughs> no being aware of who it is you're writing for and and what what may be of relevance to them and having using language and a certain level of formality that's appropriate for so for example what that means is in real in actual terms is if you're asked to give a speech to young people or write an article for young people obviously young people will have different concerns about you know if it's about i know to the topic of health or whatever um you know young people will have different concerns and different pressures that might mean that maybe they're not engaging in exercise as much as they they would like to or they should do because they've got pressures of study um the social life to consider etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas if you were writing for an audience of older people they may have different concerns and different priorities different um you know other other kind of uh you know challenges that that they're faced with so it's a case of recognize and it's always specified who the audience is and there's a reason why they do that because mm, they want you yeah. to pick up on that and and note that this isn't just a generic piece you know you're, it's not a general audience mm -hmm. it's you know you want to kind of be able to 
tailor what you're writing to reflect the interests and um, where you know where the audience is at in terms of what matters to them. Um, I think um, I think actually that's a very good piece of general advice for exams. Is that if there's information in the question, it's there for a reason. Like history, yeah. for example, is a good example. If they say, "Oh, this is a source from 1872, written by Pastor Morris," you know that it's important that you have that information. And it's exactly the same with English, isn't it? They don't. Yeah. They wouldn't say you're you know you're writing a letter to the company to complain if it wasn't relevant that you were writing it to the company. Yeah exactly that exactly that so yeah and also when you're reading the text what that made me think of is when you're reading the text sometimes there's seemingly random pieces of information in the text and you kind of think oh scratching your head what's that there for but there's it's a question of thinking about what that might suggest for example I was, there was a question a while ago that I from a past paper where um, you were supposed to be writing a letter to your parents um, having decided to change career and go in quite a different path or no change what you it's a question about a um somebody who worked as a vet and he was setting up a, a out of hours uh, practice i remember this uh, one. do you remember that one do you remember that one and so <laughs> i think i've done every time. past paper yeah, in english yeah, language very familiar <laughs> with them and um so he was writing a letter to his parents to explain his choice and so there was a seemingly random piece of information there about how um mark i think it was was wearing a, a jumper that his mum had knitted for him and you kind of think what's that there for once why aren't they including some random piece of information about wearing a jumper his mum's knitted for him and the purpose of that was to it's just sort of there to suggest maybe they have a close relationship that you know his mother cares about him and is interested in you know concerned for his welfare and that that kind of illustrates and that's an, an example of implicit meaning there because it hints at um the closeness that they have and the relationship that they have and therefore how his mother might likely respond and how he he might sort of justify or explain his decisions. So it's sort of that's what what I mean by the implicit meaning. It's sort of working out and reading between the lines. What does what does that tell us? Um, so it's never just there randomly. So it's always and part of the task is to be able to kind of uh, go through the text with a fine tooth comb, picking out and looking out for those clues. And I often liken it to doing you know a bit of detective work. You know, you've got to really examine what's being said and take it in and and think about it and kind of interact with it in a way, in, in that very active way. Um, so yeah, uh, I think there's a lot, and again, that's a technique that develops with practice. Um, and in terms of the assessment then, so let's kind of do a bit of a deep dive into what's on the actual paper. So on paper one, which as I said, is the reading paper, two hours, um, that you have three questions, they're compulsory, so there's no optional questions as there is on paper two with the, um, the composition task. There are three questions. They're based, sometimes they're based on similar, usually quite often actually, they're based on similar sorts of topics. Um, there's in the answer booklet, you get the question and there's a, set, a space there, lined um, piece of the paper there for you to write your text in. And, and the gauge is always the amount of space they give you as well, you know, because that gives you a rough indication of how much they're expecting right candidates to write. It's usually quite generous, the space that they have there. So don't think you need to fill up the whole space. Um, so text A and B, um, about 700, 750 words in length. So those are the texts that they're giving you and you have to base your responses on them. Text C is about 500 words long to 650 words long. And they build in reading time. So they, you know, um, unlike other subjects where the general advice is you spend in terms of allocating your time, it's a mark a minute. Um, mm -hmm. For English, you have 
slightly longer because they're building in time to allow you to read the passages. And the reading of the passages is so important because um, if you're not sure what exactly you're being asked to do, it's very easy to get it wrong. So, and there's a pressure to get writing in exams because the clock is ticking and you think it's about writing, but it's worth taking time to really understand what the question, and this actually is true for any um, exam also, because if you're rushing ahead to writing and you haven't looked at the question properly, you might get the focus wrong. Um, so that's, yeah. Is there an approach to the reading of it that you would recommend? For example, would you recommend reading it through once, then reading the question, then reading it through bullet pointing, like underlining? Is is there an, any kind of technique in that way that you would recommend? Yeah, I think that generally um, my advice to students is to start with the question, um, start with the question and then and analyze what the question is asking you to do. So I, I was talking to my daughter earlier, who's, who's marking papers, herself marking papers at the moment. And I was saying to her that it's worth taking a few seconds to read the question, not once, twice, underline and circle and highlight the keywords, and then ask yourself, what am I being asked to do here? What is this question actually asking me to do? So you're really clear on what exactly the, the examiner wants to see in the response. And then you go ahead and you read the text. And if you do it that way around, um, obviously, when you read the question without the context, you won't know what, 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 it's, what it's talking about. But you'll have that in the back of your mind percolating away. And then you're, you're kind of filtering certain information from the text as you read it. Um, so the first read through is just a read through for gist, really, um, with the question in the back of your mind. Then I'd suggest reading it again, but this time, um, really studying it closely and picking out and identifying the relevant points, um, cross-referencing against the question. Um, and this is another thing, you're not, you're not, um, it's not a test of memory. You're not looking at the question once and then not looking back at it again. Equally, you're not reading the passage once and not looking back at that again and just trying to remember what you've read. You want to, it's an active process kind of comparing the text against the question and asking yourself, does this match what the question is asking me to do? And if it does, then it goes in. And if it doesn't, you leave it out. So that's the approach I recommend. And then we'll talk more specifically about the extended response in particular, which has three specific bullet points. Um, and with that, you need to be able to tailor your response to match the information, the requirements in the question to address those specific bullet points. So I recommend color coding um, the text according to give each of your three bullet points a different color and highlight the text according to um, those three bullet points and, and match the corresponding text to the, uh, you know, the bullet points so that you're clear where things match up, which yeah, bits in the, the text correspond to the bullet points. It's really helpful that, and actually, I think in the end, my daughter who was she when she underlines things she underlines like basically everything so you end up with actually what isn't <laughs> underlined is the only thing that's that's visible and so we ended up doing something slightly different where we numbered the bullet points and then she put a number by so if it related to number one she put a little one yeah. above it one above it and did it in that way because otherwise it was a it was a smorgasbord of color <laughs> <laughs> there was just too much too much I think for her to look at yeah. but I uh, there is something because a lot of children, um, so, some children 
probably the majority of children really struggle with a big text and a slightly vague question. Um, yeah. And English can feel a bit intimidating in that way. It's not as structured as sciences and maths and, yeah. and even some things sure. like geography and history. And I think it's very helpful for some children if they feel a little overwhelmed by just this massive text to, to break it down in this way and to kind of go, okay, like what is the evidence for this one point and then go through and pick it out. Yeah, yeah. it can help yeah. a lot, can't it? Yeah, so I recommend reading the text once through with the fine tooth comb, picking out everything that's relevant for the first bullet point and highlighting in that in the colour that you've allocated to that first bullet point. So you can is see. Is there time visually. for that? Is there, there time is to do time for that? There read is time. Through, like for basically that. four, because that's four yeah. read throughs, isn't it? The thing is, what you're doing is you're scanning. So you're not reading each and every single word. You're looking out for things to jump. And by the time you've read it the first time, you'll have a vague idea of where what's being said in each part of the passage. So you'll know where to hone in for the relevant information or have a vague idea of whereabouts that information about, I don't know. Um, the, the condition of the hostel or whatever it was that you were writing to complain about was where it where tends do we to clump that? together as well yeah. doesn't it I noticed that yeah. quite often the bullet points are slightly linear in as much as yeah. the first bullet point relates to the sort of the start of the letter to a degree so so like yeah. if it's if it's bullet point one all your ones tend to be towards yeah. the top and so it, it has a certain lin not always but it yeah. does sometimes to a have degree a yes lin. although mm. they do like to sprinkle them in a little bit in other places as well so be careful that you're kind of grouping together things from, and sometimes they've been known to stick in a point right at the end in the very last line. Um, so read through to the end and then see how there might be, you know, as you say, to some extent, they might be sort of clumped in one section of the text, but there may well be other relevant points mentioned elsewhere that you can sort of combine yeah. and that will form the basis of your chunk, if you like, for the first bullet point. And I think what's also really nice is those three bullet points provide your structure. So you don't really need to think too much about the structuring because that's sort of already laid out for you with the order of the bullet points. And you, you know, that's generally what I advise. You don't have to be, you're not a slave to that either. You can yeah. you can mix it about, mix it up a bit and put it in a different order and that would be fine. But I just think it's easier if you're if you, if it's already there in that order, it's easier just to go through it in a logical way and just sort of identify all the points. And it might sound time consuming, but again, it's practice, practicing, reading at speed, scanning for relevant information. Um, and I think there is enough time. And that longer task, um, you want to give out of the two hours, that's going to be the biggest chunk of your time is going to go on that. And that's about 40, that's 45 minutes, I recommend for that one. Although you can take a bit longer. My middle daughter, when she sat this exam, used to give that one one hour. And then what she used to what she used to do was the comprehension questions, which are really straightforward one word answers. She used to fly through those much, much quicker and she'd leave those to the end. That's another point to mention. You don't have to do the paper in the order in which the questions are presented. So it starts um, with the comprehension questions yeah. and then the the three bullet point question. That's the one that you say is anything from 45 minutes to an hour. And that's the middle question. No, that's at the end. It's that's the, the end final the question. OK, it's the mm -hmm. final question in the middle. You have a summary and you have the writer's effects tasks. Um, and so. 
The last set of questions from the writer's effects onwards is on that last text, which you use as a basis for the final question, the extended response task. So you could, I mean, there's lots of different approaches to this. You could start in the middle and ease yourself into it with the writer's effects question. So you're already, that's a point in terms of you're saying, is there time for that? Because if you've done it, if you've done the writer's effects question before you've got to the last extended response task, you'll already, already have a degree of familiarity with it. You're not starting from scratch by the time you come to the extended response task because you've already questions, read through it. Questions two and three are on the same text. Yeah, so the last yeah. few questions are based on the same passage. In the middle, you have a separate text, which is for the summary, and a separate a separate text for the questions at the beginning, um, which are straightforward comprehension questions. And there is a case for thinking about working in reverse. So starting with the extended response and working your way back through to the low-scoring um low-hanging fruit questions at the beginning where you can really bank some marks quite quite well um, because they are quite straightforward so they merged the foundation and the higher tiers a few years ago which meant that the, the bunch of questions which used to come up on the foundation paper for students who are aiming at a maximum of a C they are now on the, the, the paper which everyone sits so they merged the higher tiers a higher paper previously was for students aiming for C and above um, and so that's, I think, worked to students' advantage um, because there's a whole bunch of comprehension questions which never used to be on the extended paper, where it's a really nice opportunity to score uh, a chunk of marks. So that's um, that's that's kind of, and I think, again, it's a case of practicing and experimenting with different approaches. This is thinking sort of towards the exam stage at the end of studying the whole syllabus and practicing. Um, but really, it's, a, it's, it's sort of working out um, what works for you, the approach that works for you and, and finding one that makes best use of the time available. Um, and so, yeah, so the first set of questions, as I mentioned, are the comprehension and the summary task. Um, and they go back, go going back to what we said about the assessment criteria, you're really just looking for, uh, the examiners are really looking for, does this candidate understand the basic facts here, the implicit meanings, and can they use and adapt the information to write a summary, a shorter version, a more concise version of the text. But that's that's the summary. The comprehension is straightforward. Do they understand the meaning of this word? Some questions are as simple as just paraphrase this underlined word or find a word in the text which means the same as this. Um, and so it's really straightforward comprehension there. Um, and the summary writing um, is quite straightforward. The real kind of um, thing that people struggle with that is being able to condense everything down and there's some tips and tricks you can you can use for that as well to so get rid of anything that's descriptive or illustrative or examples and just really it's really just about communicating the key facts as concisely as possible using dense information packed sentences so you're just getting okay. straight to the point so um, it's not about what the narrator might have been meaning their use of metaphor it's literally yeah. Then, then this happens, and then this happens, and this happens in the text. Can you just mm -hmm. pick out and identify? And the question again will have a focus, which you need to be able to pick up on, um, and and identify the points um, that relate to that, and communicate those ideas expressed in your own words to show you've understood those ideas. Um, the summary task, yeah, as succinctly mm -hmm. as possible. So that's a summary task, um, and so that's question one. So it's a set of comprehension questions and a summary task and then in the middle you have how long should that take do you think about half an that hour takes about 25 minutes or so mm -hmm. um 
as I say, it's give or take and different, you know, some students find summary writing, um, the comprehension doesn't tend to pose issues for students. The summary writing task can be a bit, some, some students really struggle with paraphrasing, for example. Um, and so that can be a bit more challenging for some students, but again, it's practice, but it will vary a little bit depending on how confident and how, um, you know, strong students feel in, the, in, in being able to paraphrase. And have, having a good vocabulary really helps with that because if you if key element is you need to paraphrase, if you've got alternative words available to you in your vocabulary, it really does speed up the process. Um, so when and they're marking have, that summary yeah. task, I assume that yeah. what they're looking for is six sort of key phrases that summarize you know like a, a section of the of the text so the, they're, they're just the examiner I'm guessing is just scanning through and ticking like a criteria of six things that there's, they've got to tick yeah on. there's a list of 10 so the way it's marked is there are it's 15 marks a summary writing task uh, 10 marks lot, are it is, yeah. So 15 out of the 80 for the for paper one. And so 10 marks are available for the content. That's just picking up on the ideas in the in the stimulus text, being able to identify and write about in your own words those 10 ideas. And actually there's a possible, there are usually more possibilities um, available. So there's potentially 13, 12 or 13 different ideas you could write about. So there's a bit of leeway there. You only need to include 10 for a maximum mark for that. And five marks are available for the quality of writing. And that's being able to express your ideas succinctly um, and being able to use sentence types for effect. So being able to jam pack your sentences, basically, that's what they're looking for. Dense sentences, which are really information packed and grouping ideas together, maybe from across the passage, which can be paired up and you can therefore write about them um, you, more economically using fewer words by combining two ideas into one sentence, one longer sentence. And so that's the that's the key when it comes to the summary writing task. It's information-packed it? sentences. It is. Because it's but the it, opposite of what they normally want, which is normally they always say make one point per elaborate. sentence and don't don't yeah. like cram everything into one sentence. It's, it's yeah. difficult for our children, isn't it? To suddenly have to do I something completely it's, different. It's challenging. It's challenging. And it's a case, case of once you've understood what's required, again, it's just a case of kind of working on it and practicing, sort of picking out the ideas and then thinking about how you can combine them. So I'm thinking about one past paper question on the new spec, which was based around a passage about how and why libraries have ha had to update their image. And so the two ideas there were the how. So for example, libraries now um, are more open, airy and spacious, and they're more sort of community hubs, which offer a lot of other different services and products as well, not just books. Um, and that's the how and the why is because maybe their image was seen as outdated and fusty and um, competing with online retailers. They had to kind of create a fresh brand new image for, for libraries and so on. So that you can see that's to illustrate. So you've got the how and the why. So those are the two sort of elements within the summary that they want. And they really just want you to pick out all the points that relate to how they've changed in one half of the of your writing. And they're not they might not be even, but sort of split into mm. two sections. Um, and then the why, why is it they've been forced to change or had to update or rebrand themselves in this way? So that's kind of, it's really, I mean, that's what I mean about the criteria being quite transparent because you know what, if you know and you've got your head around what it is you need to do here, you literally need to pick out points. You need to scan the text and say, is this a how point? Where are all my hows and where are all my whys? And how can I group those hows and whys together 
to make yeah. sort of sentences that um, really, you know, condense the information down. So you're sticking to the word limit because that's the key. I mean, the summary obviously has to be in a limited number of words. Um, and so that that's a case of practicing, practice bringing improvement. I would say that rather than practice making perfect, because if you're aiming for, for perfection, I think that's something that intimidates a lot of students as well, mm. because they they're very hard on themselves. And if they don't get it right, they just feel a failure, you know, and that sort of the global general, <laughs> that global sort of statement about yourself and everything that comes out of that isn't helpful to learning from mistakes is that so I think that that's always the way I try to put it it's, it brings improvement rather than rather than aiming for and you don't need by any means there's no requirement to be perfect with this because in general you're sort of aiming at about um 66 percent to get an A star mm. um for that's that's I think that's um you know it's not as high as many people think it might be so yeah. um you know there's no you, there's absolutely and your exam certificate won't say whether you've got 100 percent or you're a borderline a star so mm -hmm. it, it, it's really you know um, it's really not an issue so I think that's something to bear in mind as well because I, I think that's why a lot of students find English in particular because it is a bit vaguer in terms of what you need to do um and how you what makes good writing I mean it's very subjective isn't it um you know the criteria being applied are applied by a person and their subjective judgments on what whether you know this is effective writing or not but I think of the three specifications Cambridge is a lot clearer in terms yeah. of being able to unpick what's what they're looking for um, and it is quite uh, in, in, it's prescriptive but I think that works in students favour because they know what they they need to do and they're not vague as much as they may be for um the spec a for example ed excel spec a so like um, you say it once you once you learn the rules of the game you can play well within the game but it, and and it works it's annoying that it's like that but once you realize that it is then then it's then you have freedom within that don't you yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, that's not to say, I said it's more prescriptive. Some of the tasks on paper one are, but then on paper two, there's a lot more scope for, you know, you're kind of putting your own stamp on your writing and demonstrating your flair and, you know, your ability with words. And so that, you know, I think there's a lot of scope, especially with the composition task, which we'll talk about shortly. But um, so you have, so I've just mentioned, you've got the comprehension and the summary task. Then in the middle, you have a set of short answer responses, um, most of which are literally kind of, can you find a word in the text that means the same as this underlined word or phrase? So it's quite straightforward and students don't normally find that um, too challenging. And then we have the extended response task, which I mentioned earlier, where you have the seven different text types, 25 marks for that. This is the one and where it's either a speech or a letter or an article. That's on paper two. So the paper one is the seven different text types. So it might be, yeah, yeah interview or journal, mm -hmm. lots of different things. So that's your overview, a quick whiz through paper one. Um, moving on to paper two. So paper two, uh, I think sometimes students find, well, it depends really, because if you are strong at writing, um, this you may prefer this to paper one because that's a little bit more limiting in terms of what you write about, certainly for the extended response task. If you find writing more of a challenge, I think a lot of students tend to find paper two more difficult than paper one because it's not as clear cut in some ways. Um, at, although having said that, there are still marks available for content in your directed writing response, which is where you're asked to write the speech letter or article. Again, it's based on a stimulus text. So you're not being asked to write cold about, you know, um, 
the the impact of the aviation industry on the environment or whatever it is, right? Um, they'll give you a passage, in fact, two passages, and they present contrasting perspectives a lot of the time. And so part of what they want you to do is be able to pair up and match up, if you like, arguments from one perspective in one of the texts with corresponding counter arguments in the second text. Does that make sense? So yeah. they want you to kind of think about, and using balancing words and phrases is really helpful for this. So on the one hand, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, blah, blah, blah. So you're taking an idea from text one and text two, and then you balance them against each other. Um, so for example, you mentioned student exchange programs. So a pro, if you like about um, student exchange programs is that they allow students to have lived experience of the world, to encounter other cultures and um, maybe learn languages and so on. A, pro, a, a con, if you like, of that is maybe they take time, they take 10 students on the exchange programs, might take time away from their academic studies, but then you've got nuances and further ideas you could explore beyond that because if you have the opportunity to study online, for example, you could say you can keep up with your academic work. On the other hand, how realistic is that? So do you see what I mean? There's a lots of how layers of should complexity. There be, how much should there be that kind of batting back and forth? Because I know that my daughter tended to get a bit lost in that. When So yeah. in the end, she ended up doing basically the first half, which was all the four. And then yeah. she'd be like, on the other hand, and then she would do all the, all the against. Because I find sometimes with the back and forth that that is a really lovely natural way. But yeah. you, I, I, she just ended get up getting lost in little alleyways. Yes. Yeah. You can do, you can do. I think, um, well, either approach might work, but I think that the going back and forth is sort of naturally presenting. I think it flows better because you're not going to be, um, you know, referring back to ideas that you mentioned in the first half in your second half, if you see what yeah. I mean. So if you're mentioning a pro and then you're referring to an idea which kind of counters the pro in the second half, it can feel a bit disjointed. You're so more you're likely to, to hit each one as well, aren't you? If, yeah. if you do each one in turn, whereas if you yeah. if you do all the pros and all the against, you may miss a pro, might you? Exactly. Yeah. So I think the key to that is planning, which I think a lot of students struggle with and don't some students, you know, quite proudly say, oh, I know, I never plan anything. I just write it as I go along. But the problem with that is you can get a bit overwhelmed and lost and can't see the wood for the trees that way. So if you I think you can I think it benefits from taking quite a systematic methodical approach to it. So if you read the text and you identify the ideas being presented and the arguments being put forward and the evidence to support those arguments in the first text. And then you look for corresponding counter arguments and then you write a plan and you say, well, I'm going to talk about the pros in terms of the, you know, the educational pros and cons of student exchange programs. And then I'm going to talk about the practical considerations like mm. the time, the energy, the resources that teachers have to put into organizing mm. these things. And then then I might talk about sort of the emotional dimensions about how not all students have the maturity to benefit from that or some students may and then how are students selected that kind of thing on what basis so you could kind of group your ideas from the text in those sort of sub under those subheadings and then that provides a structure then and then you want to think about well what am i going to write about first in terms of of these issues i've i've identified which are the most important for my audience with the audience in the case of the question we were talking about um, with the st student exchange programs was parents. So what's mm. their priority? So noticing that, recognizing that, 
where would you put that plan would you would would that I'm guessing that just be like little bullet points or like the odd the odd keyword to to refresh your memory about what you're would you put that on the question paper would you do that on the in uh, your answer answer booklet booklet. in In your answer answer booklet booklet. you are free to annotate the the stimulus text in any way you like you can color code you can when I've done um as I often do (laughs) um attempt these questions so I get the full student experience under time conditions it's full of scrawlings my text is full of scrawlings and underlined and you know, all over the place in the margins and there are arrows going and asterisks everywhere. You're free to annotate it in any way you like. And the plan I would put in my answer booklet so the examiner can see, even if you don't finish your response, they can see that this is where the student was heading. And who knows, you might get some credit for that. So have a plan uh, and it can take different forms. So it might be a mind mind map, it might be a spider diagram, it might be a set of bullet points, it might be keywords in in a particular order, numbered, whatever works for you. Um, That is just, I always think of it, I liken it to sort of, if you were heading out on a journey somewhere new, you wouldn't do that without referring to Google Maps or whatever and checking your directions and where you're going. So I think of it like that and your paragraph should be clearly signposted along the way. So you know where you're starting, where you're heading and you know each step of the journey where you're at and you can refer back to that just as you would if you're on your way and you got you took a wrong turn you go back to your map and say oh look I need to retrace my steps I need to go back this way you can refer back to it It stops you going off track basically is there Um, I think a lot of students have a worry that it just takes so much time you know the 10 minutes or so writing a mind map out that they could have actually been getting on with right especially if time is an issue yeah yeah. Well, I think it's important to mention that um, you do get an hour for this task on paper two, um, and you're only expected to write around 450 words, which is about a side side and a half or so, yeah. up to two sides. Yeah, you know, you, important mention important to mention also is that there isn't a word limit. So there's a suggested guidance, you know, guideline number of words to write in the question, but you do not have to stick to that as a hard word limit. So whatever you do, don't go back and sort of edit bits out and cut bits out and think I'm going to scrap that because it's going out. And don't count the words. Don't sit yeah, there spend five the minutes counting the words. No, no, absolutely not. Because if you're over, you won't be penalised. There aren't any questions apart from the summary task where you have to stick to a word limit. It's a guidance, it's guidelines that are issued for the candidate's benefit, not because it's you're penalised for going over that amount. But what I would say is that if you think about it, um, an hour is, is much more than you need to write two sides. And yeah. writing at top speed, I mean, that might take you maximum 40 minutes maybe 45 minutes to write two sides but if you've thought through what you're right so that gives you by that reckoning that gives you about 15 minutes for planning for mm-hmm. reading the text remember I said the importance of reading the text and pulling out those ideas annotating the text and then working out what you're going to say where and how you're going to say it and having a clear idea of that before you start will actually save you time And it will stop you from going down the wrong path and then having to, you know, rejig your whole piece and and it getting very messy. So if you've got and you'll feel more confident going into writing it as well. So and that's a big part of it, too. So there is time built into that, into it for reading, analyzing the ideas, thinking about putting together a plan. And the plan, I'm not suggesting it should be extensive. Just a very brief outline for your own benefit. Um, you know, you only you have to understand. I mean, if the examiner reads it and it should make sense to them and you can get awarded marks for it, that's all well and good. But it's primarily for your benefit so that you know what you're going to be writing about where. 
and how you're going to express the different points. So, you know, um, it's just a case of, again, practice, because that comes with practice, being able to, be, and I always say it's important to focus on the techniques and understanding what you need to do. And then with practice, you can build speed. Speed building comes after you've got the basics in place and you understood what needs to be done. When my daughter and I were doing past papers to begin with, which was pretty much, apart from your course, Iram, it was all we did was we did your course and past papers. That's all we did. And um, the past papers, what we would do is to begin with for the first six or seven, we had no time limit. I was like, just do just do it in whatever time you want to do it in. And then we picked up the time, picked up the time as yeah, it went on. Yeah. Yeah, because that is always a bit of a concern for students. And I always say when I give them past paper tasks, like this is ideally what you're aiming for. Keep an eye on the time, but don't worry if you're going over that in the early stages, because you, as long as you've got a gauge on how long it's taking you and then you're building with practice, that will that will improve. You'll be able to do it more efficiently think, and you you get into the swing of it, don't you? With practice? Yeah. And I think actually the Cambridge paper is quite nicely timed. My daughter, for example, is dyslexic, so she had access arrangements she's not a very fast typer she didn't have extra time and actually she never ran out of time and yeah. it, when we we're at home doing the practice she never ran out of time and actually it's quite generous for time isn't it yeah I think the timings are, are quite you know I think the sec this paper two I think is quite generous I think two hours uh, an hour each for those tasks given the amount they're expecting you to write um is 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 quite a, a decent amount of time to get that done and quite um reasonable so I don't most students, I've had very few students who've struggled with time management and fitting it all in in the time available. Um, so it doesn't tend to pose an issue. And in the examiner reports or also, that's another point to mention, examiner reports are minor information, but they often say, you know, it's quite evident from the from looking at scripts that students didn't seem to have an issue with completing the tasks in the time allowed so uh, I don't think that's really an issue for many people I think it's just a case of practice and um, it is definitely worth taking time to plan and um, also for that matter where you have the composition task which we'll be talking about in a moment um, taking time to pick the right question because there are a choice of four because that that's makes the only such question. a difference that, yeah. that's the only question where you have a choice um, so to you know as I mentioned you get two descriptive tasks and two narrative tasks to choose So this from. is the second half of paper two right yeah. the on paper task. two mm -hmm. there's this there's task two is a composition task creative writing and so with that um i remember very well that when my middle daughter sat this exam a few years ago oh you were, were talking to people outside the exam center as you do chatting and so on and then they went in sat the exam and we came out as they do as you do you talk talk to each other about how did it go what question did you do and then one of the girls that she was talking to beforehand said oh i started off writing i can't remember whether it was a narrative or the description but i started writing this question and part way through i thought oh i should have answered the other one instead so she switched it midway and then obviously you're giving yourself less time mm. to do a, to do a good job with that you know one that you've switched to so it's worth taking a couple of minutes to think about you know which one do I think I can do the best job with and do myself justice with um, the other and, thing, uh, which, yeah. I, which I suspect you'll, you'll also recommend is that we did you have a choice of either narrative or 
uh, descriptive Thank and narrative you, yes. is obviously where there's a certain amount of plot and descriptive is where it's like more like verbio sentences for want of a yes, better word yes. and yeah. and what my daughter desperately wanted to do narrative she loves writing stories she writes short stories just for fun but I didn't allow her because it was very hard to get questions for narrative so I said you've got to do descriptive and so that helped because it meant that when she went into the exam she didn't even look at the narrative questions she yeah. was like I'm going to choose between the two it's narrowing it's narrowing down your options and that was the same for my daughters my two older ones they didn't even bother looking at the narrative I remember asking my middle one oh what are the narrative options I don't know I didn't even look at those <laughs> um so the thing is it does help that and the, I think it's good advice and it's what it's advice I give all my students to go for the descriptive over the narrative because and funny enough I, ha I had a student who who was also very good at writing um and enjoyed writing but it's a very different prospect to write a narrative an effective short story in an hour than it is to writing as you would do under normals. It's a very artificial task in many ways. I mean, writers don't write in this way at all, do they? They don't write. They don't get somebody from outside giving no. them a head, like a title no. that they have to write no, to. It's very no. difficult. And it is. And the other thing is, you know, obviously writers in the real world, they'll edit, change things around, scrap things, start again, and all that. So I think that can be, I think in some ways that's more challenging to do if you are if you enjoy writing normally, because it's quite uh, limiting in, in that sense, because you're limited by time, for in most, first and foremost, as well as by subject matter and themes and so on. So although there is scope to take it in different directions, I mean, generally the titles are quite broad. Um, but uh, but I think that the descriptive in an exam situation is just more manageable, really, because you don't have to think about character or characterization. You don't have to think about plot. Um, and you don't have to think about all those kind of narrative elements that you have, which you don't have with the descriptive. The descriptive, you essentially need to focus on sensory details and figurative language. Um, and the, that's much more doable in one hour. It's much easier to do that well. And there's lots of tips and tricks that I give students in terms of um, building a bank of vocabulary and interesting figurative language examples that you can adapt for different contexts in the actual um, exam so um, we did know, my daughter did the same thing where we would um, before the exam about two weeks before the exam I made her write out a little bank of metaphors so yeah. it was a metaphor for a sunrise or a sunset it was a metaphor for texture like wings or um, like animal fur because invariably that comes up too it was yeah. thing it was something about raindrops quite often come raindrops on a window and and I would get her to think and, and she would think up really interesting metaphors um or similes that she could then use in yes. so she didn't have to think about while she was writing think about something clever she already had a kind of bank in her mind yeah I think that's really good advice and it's it's um advice that I give my students because I think it really helps because it's hard to come up with original and interesting metaphors when you're on the spot and you're you know on timed conditions so I think you know it's not in any way cheating because you're just it's just one I've prepared earlier and you mm. can adapt it and make it your own and, and equally you can um you can borrow borrow from right all you know lots of how many writers have borrowed from Shakespeare you know this is uh, you can make things you can borrow from things you've read films you've watched stories you've heard or um, real experiences um, and and you can embellish and uh, you know do a mashup of different experiences or different stories you know so there's lots of different things you can do with it um, and I think it's quite I think a lot of students quite enjoy it actually they quite enjoy doing the 
this, the composition bit. Um, if you if you kind of have a handle on how you're going to approach it, um, that's the key thing. So again, with this, the, the focus is in terms of the criteria, being able to express your thoughts and feelings. And they're quite often the rubric will state, um, describe your thoughts and feelings and that doesn't mean saying i felt happy i felt scared i felt tense or excited what you want to do is think about the mood and the atmosphere and what the character's thinking and feeling and try to convey that through your use of language so for example pathetic fallacy which i love like if you use you know metaphors relating to um the clouds if the clouds are angry um or the sun is benevolent whatever that kind of suggests uh, it can reflect, it can mirror the narrator's state of mind and their emotions, their emotional turbulence or their emotional kind of calm and serenity or whatever it is. Um, and so you can kind of, that's important. It's the showing, not telling, you know, kind of conveying that subtly rather than with a sledgehammer, you know, <laughs> thinking I felt this rather. And that's much more effective if you suggest it through your description rather than stating it, because it's all about getting the reader to be able to imagine what you're describing and, and making it feel real and as though they are in that place with you sharing that experience. And so you want it to come alive and you do that through the detail and kind of conveying mood and atmosphere um, and all the sensory imagery as well, because ten, we tend to focus quite a lot on visuals, but it's also an experience is comprised of much more than just what we see. It's the smells, it's the sounds, it's the, the feel of things, not just with your fingers, but on your face, in your hair, whatever, under your toes or whatever. Walking through a forest, for example, you know, the crack and the crunch of the, the twigs snapping underfoot, that sort of thing, um, which actually you can then hear it. That's a bit onomatopoeic as well, crack and crunch, you know, sort of hearing it snapping and cracking. Um, so thinking about that, really, how to really conjure up that experience in the reader's mind bit of magic really <laughs> I think it's I think English language is one of those exams where you you like like we've said you need to know the rules of the game in order yeah. to get the high marks but it's also important that the child is able to enjoy the process and I know my daughter really she loves writing and so she really enjoyed the descriptive writing process and I could have been much stricter about how she did it and she would have got higher marks but then she would just wouldn't have enjoyed it so much so for example she she because she likes narrative she insisted on having a cast of characters that she had invented in her head with lots of metaphors about how they looked and what sort of people that they were and then she was going to describe those as part of the descriptive writing regardless yeah. of what the title was going to say and She's actually the titles are, <laughs> she was going to shoot on them in regardless and actually we looked at something like 10 past papers and they all had I actually set her as one of her homeworks I, I gave her the little couplet of questions and I said which would you choose for your writing just to yeah. make sure that she was making that right choice about which question yeah. to go for yeah. and they all had one that you could easily talk about characters whether it's like a picnic in a park or I think in the end she did a cafe because yeah. one of the questions was about a cafe and so she had ca customers in a cafe now there's no doubt that if she had been just more descriptive about the environment and the landscape she probably would have got better marks but she would not have enjoyed it so much and she wouldn't have got her pink Mohican guy <laughs> in and you know the girl with the, the, the lots yeah. of eyeliner and she wouldn't yeah, have enjoyed yeah. the process so it is a bit of a balance as well isn't it? It is it is definitely definitely and I think so much of that comes you know the you, you you rightly say that there aren't as many character-based descriptions there's a lot focused on place um and a tip that came to mind just now when you're talking about that is reading kind of um 
travel writing, reading, um, read the travel um, section of the BBC website, you know, that's a really good source of inspiration. But kind of borrowing from real people, um, you know, when you're on the tube looking or the train, looking at the people across from you, making notes about what they look like, practicing those skills as you go. And yeah, and I think that makes it more enjoyable as well, basing it on real things and experiences and memories and so on. Um, so it's more meaningful in some ways as well, as much as yeah. it can be. <laughs> yeah, as much as it can be for an exam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that's that's both the paper. So are there any broad tips that you would give for for the exams in general? Um, I think my my top tip, somebody asked me this years ago when my eldest did really well with this exam. Um, uh, my top tip is just to read, read lots. And it sounds obvious, but it's reading broadly and outside of your narrow lane, if you see what I mean. So people tend to read what they like and they stick to what they like. So if it's, I don't know, historical fiction or sci-fi or whatever, they tend to just stick to that. But read kind of broadly. So you've got a good basis for understanding how writers write the different text types, you know, the articles, the watch watch speeches. And it doesn't all have to be reading either. So if your child is not very keen on reading, read to them, get an Audible subscription. Or, um, you know, on YouTube, if you don't want to get an Audible subscription, you can, there's loads of stuff online for free. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of exposure to different kinds of writing. And that that's that's really good advice pre-IGCSE as well. But during during the GCSE period as well, it's good to just keep looking at our speeches as well. There's a fantastic resource called Speakola um, where that you can access loads and loads of different speeches from movies and all sorts. And really kind of it's nothing like watching a speech to see, you know, how those um, how the writers, how the you know person giving the speech is using things like rhetorical questions and you know um, using direct address and inclusive language and repetition and alliteration and all of that to make it memorable. So it's really kind of contextualizing it as well and just reading you know read uh, um, Michael Palin and Bill Bryson and people like that because they write very evocatively. Louis Theroux is another one. So reading widely, um, kind of giving yourself as much kind of exposure to those different writing types if you like and then by osmosis you start to absorb what makes effective writing it just sort of becomes second nature really you sort of become you kind of get a feel for it um through that exposure and 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 kind of analyzing it as well to some extent you know thinking about how this image or this metaphor works and and because the flip side of reading is writing isn't it so to improve your writing it's kind of useful to analyze how writers, how good writers do it, and then kind of, you know, develop those skills yourself. And that's, that's I think, the best advice I can give. And what about, that is good advice. Anything that Thank gets you. children reading is good advice. Yeah. What about yeah. revision? Um, what would you think, what would you say is the best approach when it comes to revision? Are there any resources or are there any like online things that are helpful or is it just a case of past papers, which of course is what, what we did? Yeah, past papers are an excellent resource. Um, I think there's, I think that's, if you're doing it independently, um, that's, that's your main go-to really. But I offer an intensive exam preparation course, which um, is a sort of a potted version of the longer course I run, which is 10 weeks in the run up to the exams. And I run it twice a year, um, January to through to Easter, which just gives students a, the lowdown on everything that they need to know for the exams, really. So it sort of covers all the different text types and loads of exemplars along the way to kind of really illustrate all the things that we've been talking about today. Because as I said, it's very important to put it into 
um, you know, think about what that means, how that translates in practical terms, in, in real terms, what does that mean? There are YouTube resources as well you can use. Um, there's, there's a few channels on there and there's lots online as well. Cambridge themselves produce um, an exemplar booklet. But the reason why I started writing exemplars in the first place is because there aren't that many available. Even in the mm. candidate, um, in the exemplar booklets that Cambridge produced, there's like an example of an A, B and a C or something. There's very few examples to go on. Um, so I started writing them for the benefit of my older daughter um, so that she could actually see what I meant when I said, you know, use these techniques and what, well, how does well, how is how does a piece look that's well structured? Um, what does it look like? You know, what kind of language is is being used, and how does it engage the audience, and all that kind of thing? So, yeah, so that's just a um, that's what I offer. Um, I mean, and, the other uh, thing I would say when it comes to your ten week course is that my daughter did it oh like a good year or so before the exam we'd yeah. not studied English language she did your 10-week course and then because you you put it all on Google Drive and we've got access to all that you put a lot of resources in as well don't you for each week there's a lot um yeah. and so what we would do is then when we were doing our past papers we would do a past paper with a focus on say for example this type of question and then and you, you sort of like what you sort of um number it so you're like this is like task one task two and that's very helpful and then we would go back to your resources so you don't have to do your course just before the exam do you You could actually no. factor it in and, and and sort of work it through quite slowly yeah you could use it as a complete course and I'm very very much you know being a home educator myself I'm very focused on empowering empowering students and empowering parents so giving them the skills that they can then use um, what I cover in the course to help themselves understand the criteria which they can then apply to marking papers themselves and um, obviously for some people that's a bit challenging and um, I offer a past paper marking service and there's other people who do that too but um, the idea is that um, I'm equipping I'm hopefully equipping parents and students with the skills to be able to assess for themselves um, the quality of their responses and gauge have a gauge on you know where it sits in the in you know in terms of marks and grades and so on um so yeah and i know that several people have um like yourselves used just this course as they it's a complete resource because i don't assume any prior knowledge because people come onto the course and come to me and i you know with very different levels of ability and different experiences so i don't take anything for granted i cover everything from scratch but it's it's intense and it's potted but you could you could take it as a complete course and spread it out over a much longer period and use that as a kind of framework for learning everything you need to do for the exam. Um, and it's lovely to hear your feedback, by the way. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what I liked about it was that I like any course that's written by a home educator, because I think, like you say, you assume that there's going to be students joining who have all sorts of different exposure to the subject yeah. whereas when you get if you buy courses from tutors or teachers they tend to work on the assumption that everyone's been at school so they've all learned x amount and then they've got to key stage four and yeah. they've got this prior knowledge whereas with yeah. home education it's so much more flexible and fluid so yeah. I, I liked the fact that you worked from the assumption that it's like you know we're starting from scratch and this is all yeah. everything that you need to know so everything was everything I needed was in your one course and that as a home educator it just it takes when you're doing quite a few GCSEs with your child it's so nice to just think okay that's sorted I don't need to like do lots of research and print off resources I've just got it all ready for me 
Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing you can do. There's a lot of legwork involved when you're trying to start from scratch yourself and there's no, you know, there's not a lot to go on apart from the core textbook and you're trying to compile and collate resources. And so this is basically a kind of collection of everything, my accumulated knowledge and experience over the years, having taught first my own daughters and then supported uh, yeah, I've had hundreds of students over the over the last few years doing various courses and, um, you know, lots that I've done the IGCSE. And it's really great to hear the feedback that, you know, has been so useful for students and parents because it is sort of ready made and everything's there for you. And it gets to it just gets to the, the core of what's needed in terms of, you know, what you need to do to get those marks and nail the criteria. And, you also uh, run yeah. a Facebook group as well, don't you, which is yeah, specifically yeah, for do. this for this qualification. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And lots of tips and advice and tasters. And I do free webinars from time to time in there as well. So I did a, an exam clinic one earlier this year where I just ran through. I invited students to send uh, assignments as, as uh, completed past paper questions to me. And then I ran through a selection in the in the session um so yeah it's just nice to be able to support other home educators through the process because it can be daunting and it's nice to have that support there and know it's you know there's advice on hand and lots of other things like a series of 10 days 10 tips so every day sort of over 10 days running up to the exams a series of tips on how to kind of maximize your marks and so on so that was quite um helpful for students i think as well from the feedback so yeah lots of things on there so um well everybody's welcome to join that as well and uh yeah i'd like to see you there <laughs> what i'll do is i'll put the links for iram's course and facebook group in our on our facebook page and our facebook group so if anyone is interested i'll pop those in there so do join our facebook group and our facebook page or follow our facebook page or however the machinations of facebook work and um so do follow us on social media because that's ten, tends to be where we put the links and any resources mentioned for the podcast so mm -hmm. iram thank you so much for guiding us through the cambridge spec today i know english language is one of those like english language and maths are the two you need to kind of tick off Yes, um definitely. so yeah it's nice it's nice i think to to talk through in depth um a spec that is quite important an exam spec that is quite important yeah. for lots of parents so thank you so much iram it's been lovely having you today and i look forward to our next podcast you're welcome elena thank you very much thank you so much for joining us for today's home education matters podcast see you at the next one have a lovely day